You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Get in the know, non-stop Vikings talk. It's Purple Daily on Score North and scorenorth.com. Purple Daily on Draft every Monday right here on the Purple Daily YouTube channel. Declan Goff, Miles Gorham, Tyler Fornis here to break things down from an analytical perspective. Uh, Forno, I told the boys on the main show that I was growing this mustache for the Twins playoff run, but then Miles brilliantly pointed out that it's actually my trying to mimic Travis Kelsey with his mustache. So I guess which path do I want to go down here? Do I want the do I want the Swifties and the Travis Kelsey, or do I should I put my allegiance behind a baseball team that has caused me more agony and pain than anything else, uh, just so I can try to will this team to a playoff win? You're a Minnesotan. You have to go with the pain. <laughs> you have to, and uh, true. like you got to grow like the Brunanski. Like just 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 get <laughs> get full and thick. You should go buy like some of that uh that beard growth stuff and just lather oh, yeah. that sucker every single day. Look, the only reason I don't have a mustache, I don't know if you can see it on the screen because it's well, it's blonde. This doesn't grow super thick. And if I shave all this off, I'll look like I'm 12. So yeah. I'm keeping it. Join the club, man. I, I completely I'm gonna I'm gonna plead the fifth because Declan, you look like a cop, just like Kelsey and Rogers did last night. So I I'm going to plead the fifth on that one. I do look like a cop. That's true. <laughs> uh, luckily, uh, the Vikings don't, don't have to draft me or worry about drafting that. Uh, so that's a good news for them on Purple Daily on draft. We're going to break things down uh, from the Vikings' first win of the season. We're going to take a look uh, from a rookie side of the ball, at least to start here. We'll take a look at the college football scene. We'll take a look at a lot of different things here on Purple Daily on draft. So hit the subscribe button for Daily Vikings Entertainment. We uh, have this show every Monday right here on the Purple Daily YouTube channel and on the Purple Daily podcast feed. Bellas, I want to start off with this one. Uh, it was an ugly win for the Vikings yesterday, but something I did notice and something I think that's a good hook for us to start here is Jordan Addison because in the three losses, it felt like he was the biggest silver lining throughout the throughout the three losses. He had a couple good touchdowns. He stretched the field a little bit. He looked as advertised as a first-round pick. And yesterday it seemed after especially the missed block that I, I don't know if JJ's in an ice tub after getting absolutely clobbered. I know he missed a play. Uh, but I felt like I barely even saw him on the field. Didn't even make an impact at all in the win. Um, what do you make of Jordan Addison? And is this is this a, do they not trust him in all sorts of like run blocking and other phases of the game? Because to me, I just feel like you got to have your first round pick out there on the field more than we did than, than they had him on Sunday against the Panthers. No, it's it's exactly that simple. It, you can't trust him blocking. I mean, it, it was when you watched him at USC and Pitt, wasn't exactly a plus he gave effort but when you're 173 pounds and you have the frame that Addison does it's not a strength and that really came to fruition uh, on that screen pass I don't know why you have Addison blocking on that screen that should be Osborne because Osborne's at least a little thicker he has the capabilities to be able to hold that block Addison doesn't right now and can he absolutely but that's a hypothetical not a reality the reality is he's not that guy right now so they're trying to get him in position to be successful instead of putting him positions where he can fail and that was a position where he could fail and he only had 28 out of 48 snaps which was his lowest snapshot since uh, he started his career 
four weeks ago against Tampa Bay. But I I don't think it's anything, really. This was a, we're going to grind the ball out, we're going to run the ball, and they did so with a lot of success, and take our shots in the passing game when we need to. And that's what happened. What do you as think, Miles? Someone, do you think he can get on the field more? Yeah, I mean, as someone that's been blown up in, in that situation like Addison was or or like JJ was, but also like I've made some blocks in my heyday, um, I, I don't think the issue that I had with the block, the missed block issue was like the fact that he's 173 pounds. It's the fact that this isn't college where you can't, you don't have the luxury of like waiting for guys. This is the NFL. Guys are attacking like right off the snap. He's got to be the aggressor in that situation. Even if he's smaller, he still needs to be like, be able to get in the way of the defender just to give the ch- JJ a chance to catch the ball and make a move. Like you're not always going to make the blocks like perfectly. And I don't expect him to, but like you said, for at that size and with his, uh, like as a rookie, just being an undersized guy, like I don't expect him to like hold on to those blocks. But you got to be an aggressive. Uh, you got to make an aggressive attempt in those. You can't be passive. And if you're passive, that's how that's how the types of situations happen. And so I just think it's more about him just needing to be a little bit more. I don't know if it's confidence or what it is, but he's got to be aggressive. You can't sit and like chop your feet and hope and, and let them come to you and catch the guy. You got to go get the guy. And so I think that was my biggest issue with that play yesterday. Um, but then like he had, I guess the only impact he had was the PI call. Cause Kirk th- underthrew him. Like what we talk about, like the, the oh, one man. play in football, I think everybody hates is the underthrown PI, but it worked in the, in the Vikings favor on Sunday, even though it turned into a pick six later. But I still think like those types of things is where his impact does come ne- right now. Cause yesterday the passing game in, in itself was awful. Like besides JJ, which we know it's only JJ right now, or was yesterday. Otherwise it was kind of a mix of just like a couple of plays here and there for other guys. Um, so I don't know if I chalk up yesterday real quick. I don't know if I chalk up yesterday to like an Addison being a rookie issue more than I think the passing game outside of Justin Jefferson was, was an issue as like, as a, as a whole. Just one target for Jordan Addison, that being the one that was the, the failed deep ball. And yeah, I mean, if he hits some, it's a big play to start the game. It's kind of, and he should have, cause he was open. Crazy. He was open on that Wide play open. too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I know Forno has a bone to pick with Kirk, and I can't wait to hear it. However, mm-hmm. uh, did we get a – not we, because we didn't put this out. Did the Vikings social media and Vikings kind of hype – did we overhype three deep a little bit, three deep 2.0 with, yes. with Jefferson, yes. Addison, and Osborne? Did we jump yes. the gun a little bit on that one? Oh, it got jumped 100%. And you know what? It's good marketing. <laughs> it's good business practice. It's getting your fan base excited. But in reality, like Addison – could be a really great rookie, nowhere close to Randy Moss. Osborne isn't even close to uh, Jake Reed. And Chris Carter, you could argue, is the best wide receiver of all of them, even though it is it is Randy Moss. But Carter has a real argument there. He's a top five receiver of all time. And to the, three deep, the three deep became a thing organically. It was not thrust upon them. It was not, hey, this is going to happen. It was an organic thing and you you can't give a moniker like that uh i'm a big new japan pro wrestling fan everybody talks about the three musketeers kg mudo uh um masahiro chono shinya hashimoto then this was like early 90s new japan nobody gives a crap about that but the point is they have three new guys that they dubbed the new three musketeers the reiwa three musketeers because in japan it's the reiwa era you can't put those kind of expectations on those young people That's not fair. It's like calling Caleb Williams, Patrick Mahomes. You're setting him up to fail by placing these expectations so sky high that they just can't possibly meet them. And this is a little bit of a, 
not quite all the way up to that level, but calling them three deep 2.0 was just, it was setting them up to fail. Yeah. It was, it ended up kind of biting them in the rear end a little bit for sure. Um, yeah. I mean, look, it's a win for the Vikings. I don't mean to like harp on Jordan Addison, but I, I do think, you know, miles brought up the fact the passing game looked like a mess. And, you know, if you watch the game yesterday, I think anyone can kind of come to that conclusion, but if this offense wants to take the next step, Kirk's a got to hit that deep shot to Addison, but also, I mean, Addison's got to be in the field more. Like if, if he's on the field, is that just like probably also a good telltale sign that they're going to pass the ball? Cause they, if they don't even trust him to run block, like if he's on the field, you probably know as a defense, you're probably looking to pass, right? That, probably. I think, probably. But I also think I'm not, I'm saying, I'm going to say, let me preface this real quick because I feel like I'm going to get, I'm going to catch some heat for it. Justin Jefferson being on the other side for Addison hasn't helped him in the way I think it we'd like it to in some situations because I think you'd like Addison to kind of be your move receiver and they that's Je- that's Jefferson like JJ is going to be your guy that's moving all over the formation you're kind of get, get him the, the favorable matches because he's the best receiver in the league but I think if you had helped what would help Addison as a rookie is putting him in some of those situations every once in a while just to get him some of those free releases get him some free um uh Free free routes off the off the line of scrimmage. Some of uh, the two way goes like that's his game. His game is very similar to that way too. So I think what's hard for him as a rookie is having to learn a little bit of everything because Jefferson is everywhere. Jefferson plays all three positions on the on the at receiver. So all the other guys have to know everything else. And that's I mean you're supposed to. That's a good thing. But it, it's hard when you're not lo- learning one specific like route tree or one uh, one specific um, play or uh, I should say position in the in the receiving room. Um, and so because of that, it's, it might be a little bit of a harder learning curve for him each week. Like some weeks might be a little bit easier for him because of what they're asking him to do. Some weeks might be a little bit more tough. So I think mm-hmm. I think if they can kind of simpl- simplify things a little bit more for him, maybe get him some of those free releases and options um, and let JJ be the X receiver every once in a while, I think it might benefit Addison. But at the same time, I'm not going to argue with JJ getting JJ stuff because he's the best receiver in the league. So it's kind of hard, like a kind of a, I don't know if it's a catch 22 or whatnot, but you know end of the day addison's a rookie and we need to we need to remember that he's he's like yeah jj didn't play like a rookie after game two he was a superstar addison's not that and that's okay Mm -hmm. all right you got a bone to pick with kirk uh you know the first three games yeah (laughs) first three games of the year stats look great not everything's his fault classic cousins narrative but i mean yesterday yeah an uglier performance mrs addison as we've talked about in the deep ball just didn't look as sharp throws the hideous pick six uh, in in the first possession as well so i'm gonna give you the floor here uh what did you not like about kirk cousins game yesterday against the panthers can the man make a decision I mean, uh, in the first episode of quarterback, we saw that his wife was uh, making his wardrobe decisions and he's just like, I just leave it to her. Well, it's almost like that's translating a little to the football field where he's hesitating. And uh, he, when you watch him in the pocket, there are these little things that he does. He, he takes like a hitch. So it's almost like he sets and then he like almost like hops and like resets again. And then he like hesitates throwing the football. And that's kind of what manifested against uh, the Panthers with that pick six. Why are you taking nearly a five-step drop on a, on a route concept where it's one, two fire, because if you don't fire that football, that's going to get jumped. And yes, you have two guys out front and the whole idea is for them to be a pick and get that little bit of separation. But when you're in that kind of condensed space, you cannot 
throw that football late. You cannot throw an out route late. You can't throw that late. And you can't throw across the middle. You There's just some things you can't do as a quarterback. This is something if Bryce Young did, okay, rookie mistake. Makes sense. We have a learning curve. Kirk's almost 35 years old. There is zero excuse for him making that mistake. This isn't, hey, I'm going to try and fire it in a tight window like the KJ Osborne interception in week one. That's fine. He, he threw it a little bit behind because he was about to get lambasted by the safety. It didn't work. Okay. It sucks. You move on. It is what it is. You live with those kind of moves because it's a quarterback trying to make a play. And it's a logical play. But here, it, it's an abomination. You can't make that throw. And these kinds of things have been manifesting throughout the season and not enough people have been willing to understand that it's happening. Watch him play the f- football. Watch him be indecisive in the pocket. A guy's about to come open and he's late. That Jordan Addison out route against the Chargers where it got batted down. He was late because he hitched and he doesn't throw it in rhythm. And Addison doesn't have that veteran savvy yet to try and come back to the football when he probably should have got batted down. But Cousins needs to be on time with that stuff. He needs to have confident decision-making. We saw that a ton last year. Where did it go? Did it just disappear all of a sudden because Netflix released a documentary or whatever? (laughs) Like, where is the confident quarterback that we thought we had with Kevin O'Connell? He's gone. Can he come back? I don't know. But he needs to figure out that he he can be confident and he can just make a decision. And it's something that's hindered him at points throughout his career, like we talk about Kirk Tober and how he's really great for a stretch. And then he kind of disappears for a little bit, like two, three games. This was a disappear game. And it was incredibly disappointing to see this type of quarterback who all I'm asking for is for him to play up to his potential, him to be the best Kirk cousins. I'm not asking to be a Holmes. I'm not asking to be Josh Allen. He's neither of those things. But when Kirk cousins plays like he can, He's a very good quarterback, but the problem is he doesn't do that. And that is the manifestation of the major issues that he's had this year that have cost the Vikings. And it's not just interceptions. It's not just fumbles, even though those are part of it. It's missed opportunities down the field. It's balls. He should be throwing because they're open in rhythm and he sees it, but he fails to pull the trigger. Kirk cousins after three games, could have had like 1,400 passing yards and like 12 touchdowns. Those missed opportunities can cost the teams the game. And I need Cousins to play up to his level. He's not. That's the main problem right here. Yes, there are other areas that need to be focused on that are issues. The defensive line sucks. The offensive line has been inconsistent, even though they were great yesterday overall. But at the end of the day, the quarterback has the ability to erase all that stuff. He's paid to erase all that stuff and he's paid to be great. And cousins has not been great this season and it's a problem and it's manifesting with the record. Bravo. Porno. Bravo. Miles. Uh, it seemed like I used the word actually, you know, Forno in his, in his great rant there. I used the words. It seemed like there's a binky on with Kirk. Like KOC's got the pacifier on him for whatever. And it it wasn't the same last year. Like Forno's, Forno's right. It took him a little bit to get get comfortable. But then after the Eagles game from last season, it seemed like there was things that Kirk was able to do. Obviously, the Jefferson throw in Buffalo was a big one of them. He kind of went the whole rogue. Bills game. He was yeah. phenomenal. He was great in that one. And he kind of went rogue in that, and he was great, and he's making throws that people have asked him to make for years, even though they're riskier throws. 
Do you think it's Kevin O'Connell putting more of that like pinky basically on Kirk, or is this Kirk kind of defaulting back to like the robotic programming that he's always had in his career, which is I'm not going to make the throw if I don't feel comfortable making it? Well, I think the first three games, Kirk played pretty well, but I also think it's because Kirk's played from behind. And so I think when Kirk has to let it rip because they're from behind, he's willing to take a little bit more of those chances and, and throw some of those balls. Now, yesterday, they, they were driving on that first one. They were The offense right. was rolling. They were in the red zone. They, they were on the one-yard what the one yard line. Um, they should have scored that touchdown. The Forno brought up that point. I, they sh- like, if, if you're not – like, that throw needs to be the, – the second he catches that ball, he's got to grip it and rip it, or he's got to hold it. You can't – that throw can never be late in that scenario because I talked about this on Climbing the Pocket this morning. The, with the defense in the red zone, they have nowhere to go back. They don't have to go backwards. Their, own, their focus is forwards in front of them, so they don't have to worry about someone beating them behind them. So when you're late on a throw like that, that's why the DBs has the ability to, to break so easily on that because he's not worried about you running a double move or anything like that because of the, the situation. So mm-hmm. I, I, think, I think that play in itself kind of put Kirk in an entire different element of the game, the rest of the game. He played scared. He looked like he was hesitant. Mm-hmm. He didn't want to make the mistakes. And I think that was a big part of, I think some of the issues yesterday is we've seen that from him in the past. There's times where, you know, when under Mike Zimmer and under, you know, the old regimes, old, old regime, they were, he would, he would kind of go into a shell if he made some of these catastrophic mistakes and it was hard for him to kind of get out of it. And we saw that yesterday. It really felt like he was afraid of getting, making a mistake of like, oh man, I might do it again. So he was a little bit more late and hesitant on, on the throws. And I think, I really think besides the JJ plays that he really had yesterday, it was all of like, like, I don't know if he throws that ball to JJ in the end zone for that touchdown if it wasn't a free play. Like, we don't know those things. Okay. I don't know how the game goes if the defense doesn't get a, a, a fumble recovery for a touchdown. Like, if they don't, if they were playing a better team yesterday, they might not win that game because Kirk was playing scared. And I, now we know that he can like recover and be, and be the, the kind of Kirk that he can be. My, my worry is when you go into games like Kansas City or other teams like San Francisco coming up, can he rise up a little bit more? and not have to worry so much about those. Because I know Kevin O'Connell's allowing him to make mistakes. Kevin O'Connell has definitely been in his ear saying, hey, dude, it's one play, it's one mistake. But some of those mistakes, we just have to like limit the mistakes, but still make, op- uh, make aggressive opportunities when, we, when they're there. And yesterday just didn't seem like one of those games for him. You have to create your own luck. Mm-hmm. Everybody's great in this league. It's not college where you're going to be able to scheme, unless you're Mike McDaniel, uh, where <laughs> right. you're going to scheme somebody 10 yards wide open. Like there was, there was a play last week where cousins had a high low. It was a really cool concept. Osborne's uh, running the jet motion. And then he runs a little rail stop route. Uh, Jefferson runs a corner route. All he has to do. And he has a perfectly clean pocket. You couldn't ask for better pass protection here. He, all he has to do is bait the corner to stay low and then fire a missile to Jefferson who gets separation on the safety. And it's a 20 yard gain. Instead, he checks it down to Madison. It's two yards. It's those little things that are missing from this offense that we saw last year where we know Cousins has the ability to do it, and he's not. That's a big problem. And even if you fix everything else, it will be a big problem moving forward because not everybody's going to be as bad as the Panthers. What do you guys expect from Kirk against the Chiefs here? Because I feel like this is a pretty big game for the Vikings. They get right against the line, uh, against the Panthers, excuse me. And now you got the Chiefs who are coming here, and you know people I think are making a bigger deal. Like, hey, Mahomes and the Chiefs struggle. Well, they're playing a really good defense. The Jets, like, they're not. The Vikings aren't going to be able to provide that same type of mm-hmm. looks and pressure against them. Um, but Miles, what do you expect from Kirk against against the Chiefs here this weekend at US Bank Stadium? 
I mean, I still expect Kirk to grip it and rip it. And like, I think they're going to throw the ball around a little bit. My worry obviously is like the Chris Jones effect and some of the like overall pressures that the, the chiefs um, can get that, that, that defense is, is aggressive and they have some pretty good DBs. And I, um, some of the better ones that we've seen, the Vikings have seen this year so far. And I, so I'm, I'm a little bit worried about like the Trent McDuffie, the less, the, the less, um, the, uh, Sneed, uh, Legere Sneed. Uh, like those guys are good players. And I think their front four is pretty solid. Obviously Chris Jones, I think Carl Oftis has been, been all, all right too. Like they have a few other guys that, that can get at the quarterback. And, and so I, th- I think as long as they can kind of spread things out and, and kind of get Kirk into a rhythm, they'll be okay. But again, I hate having to say this, but if they can't get Kirk into a rhythm, like where do they go? Like, because that Chiefs team will put up 40 on, on your head mm-hmm. easily. Like they, they won't even think twice <laughs> about blowing you out in your own home stadium. So I, I worry about it. But at the same time, I think if, as long as like they can get out to a strong start, um, that's really important for this team. But that's the one thing that I've worried about is they don't always get out to strong starts, especially against good teams. And you can't always focus on trying to play from behind and get a last minute like you hope luck like like tyler said no you don't want luck to be involved you want you want to create your own luck so like be be the aggressors you, it's like it's kind of one of those like uh win-win scenario not a win-win scenario but like you can't lose because there's like nothing to lose because this team is so good you need to just like like they did in buffalo last year just let it go like just play play as if you got nothing to lose yeah that, it, this reminds me declan um it's one of my favorite dante culpepper games ever 2004 against the colts Vikings end up losing 31-28, but that was a war. And they went toe-to-toe with that great Colts team, Peyton Manning, right. that offense, and they just they took it to them. They were uh, they did everything they could on offense. They held up enough on defense. They didn't pull it out. But that's what this game feels like. You have to just be like, all right, Mahomes, who I wonder if he's hurt. He made some really weird throws last night that has me thinking maybe there's something going on with him. Be- like some of those two interceptions, he normally hits those perfectly and he didn't. Why? Like, and uh, there were a couple others who were just like, okay, this is weird. Uh, conspiracy theory, get your tinfoil hats on everybody. Yeah. But that they're going to have to have one of those games where they're just going to be like, all right, this is a heavyweight fight. This is uh, Rocky versus Apollo Creed. Let's go to war and see who wins. This is Tom Bernard. Can't get enough of sports talk with Phil Mackey and Judd Zolged. Tune in to the new Tom Bernard Show podcast Monday through Friday as Phil and Judd join me to discuss the latest sports headlines and whatever else comes to mind. Just download the Tom Bernard Show app wherever you get your podcasts or visit TomBernardShow.com. It's another way to get more from me and Judd talking sports and having fun with Tom. And it's all at your fingertips. Download the Tom Bernard Show app now and join the conversation. Uh, switching gears to the defensive line. Uh, so Marcus Davenport, finally, right? I mean, my God, he's only played like three snaps all season. He comes back, uh, has a monster game against the Panthers. And even uh, Forno's guy, DJ Wanham, has a, has a pretty good game as well. I know uh, Forno's made his, his complaints about him, and honestly, rightfully so. He had a good game, good for him. I don't really trust him going forward. But uh, what, do you, what do you guys make of the defensive line now that it's fully healthy a little bit, right? Like you have Davenport, you have Daniil Hunter, who's still quietly really damn good. Harrison Smith was coming off and doing great safety blitzes too, but the, the defensive line looked finally as good as it's looked all all season. Essentially, it finally lived up to its potential. So I guess uh, Forno, what do you what do you when you look at Davenport finally coming out of the woodwork here and shutting up some haters? What did you think of his game yesterday against the Panthers? Oh, it was great. 
and you saw the explosiveness, you saw the athleticism, and you saw the size and length. He's going to be used as a chess piece because he's 6'5", almost 280, and he's a better overall athlete for relative athletic score than Daniel Hunter. He's got a great get-off, he's got long arms, and he can do a little bit of everything, and that makes such a difference. And with these, with this edge rusher group, they're going to continue to get more snaps. All Every edge rusher outside of Andre Carter, who had three snaps, had more had more snaps overall than the second defensive lineman. Cause like the edge group and defensive line in this system are completely different. They're separated. Like Harrison Phillips had 49 Davenport and Wanham had 45 Patrick Jones had 33. And I think Bullard had 32. Like this group needs to needs to step up and having Davenport back. Look, Wanham is the best edge rusher in the league. If he doesn't get blocked. And that's where a lot of his production comes from. It's cleanup stuff and not getting blocked because of like different blitzes and packages and all that kind of thing. Davenport's uh, play is going to be essential for this team moving forward. Now the health is a concern and we saw stuff manifest. He's only played a 17 game season one time that happened to be last year. Like he needs to stay healthy, but sometimes ankle sprains happen and you just have to move on. It's not like, Hey, I tore my ACL came back in six months and then I tore it again. Like that's kind of, that's similar to what happened with Ryan Tannehill. Like he had that, that partial tear and then he completely ripped it in training camp the next year. So that they need, they need to really beef up this defensive line this off season, but Davenport's uh, emergence is massive. Do you think the defensive line miles is still like one of the biggest priorities of emphasis for the Vikings? Um, Obviously going in the draft next year, because they have Daniel Hunter, who's going to be a free agent. You don't know what you're going to do with Davenport yet. Is defensive line still like near the top for you in terms of position that they probably got to address early in the draft next year? It has to be. I mean, obviously we know quarterbacks probably going to like at least trending. It's it's October. So we don't know this for sure, but Kirk's going to be a free agent too. Like obviously quarterbacks probably the priority, Mm -hmm. but I think interior off defensive line and edge rusher, both should be a, a major, a major priority. I know I've been saying that for a while, but I just think, what you saw yesterday was finally you saw at least two guys that can rush the passer um, effectively in Davenport and and Hunter. And I think that was a, a huge revelation for this defense in, the, in that you don't have to blitz as much if your front four can get home or front five, like however, you know, based on their, their base defense. But like if you can get at least two of those guys that can create consistent pressure, that allows you to be more multiple and not have to always create pressure through blitzing because you have guys that can that can do it on their own. And so. I think that helped guys like uh, Harrison Smith yesterday. I also think it just created more opportunity because all the attention is going to be on a Daniel Hunter when Davenport hasn't played all season. So him getting one of the matches matchups is a big revelation as well. So um, yeah, but overall, yes, I think that it still is a priority because you have needs across the board with guys at edge being free agents and then the interior defensive line just not being very talented. Any other uh, takeaways from yesterday's uh, win over the Panthers, fellas, that we did not get into before we get into some college football stuff? Ooh, me, 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 me. Um, Ed Ingram was good. And yes, there are warts every now and then. He allowed one pressure, and that pressure ended up uh, with that Cousins like hit arm interception. And I still think he should have stepped up into the pocket. He should have stepped up into the pocket. I think he should have moved in the pocket. And you know, Not that Ed didn't get beat, but he still should have moved in the pocket. Ed got beat, but he got beat in a way that almost every offensive line coach, in my opinion, is going to tolerate by pushing him behind the quarterback. Because if you push behind the quarterback, any veteran quarterback knows that they have to have the savvy to step up. 
and at least you're getting them behind. So then there's a pathway forward and there was a blatant pathway forward. Like Ingram's been fine. Ezra Cleveland was fine as well yesterday too. And something we have to remember just because Dalton Risner is different doesn't mean he's better. And is it worth trying if you think they're both bad? Sure. Absolutely. But this whole mantra that Dalton Risner is automatically better. And the one thing I keep citing is PFF grades. PFF isn't always the best at charting offensive line play. And you'll hear offensive line experts talk about that. So it's, it's something to at least be aware of and understand kind of what what's happening. And Ingram was good yesterday and he's getting better and better. I will say I was a little surprised that he Reisner didn't play at all. Like I thought for sure going into the week, it it might not be like a a full on, he's going to be the full-time starter now, but I definitely (laughs) thought they would rotate series or something just because that guy didn't get a training camp, didn't get preseason. I thought just to get his feet wet, they were going to do that as like a, Hey, let's kind of trial by fire, but also see if he can, if he can get up to speed and, and outperform anybody, but clearly they didn't. And I'm not, I'm not like saying it's like a huge deal, but I was just, I guess, more of a surprise to me that they didn't rotate him in just based off what they were saying last week. Agreed. Uh, boys, we get some college football stuff. I actually have a feedback question from a listener who wants, uh, wants some answers on this guy. He says, sure. question to the draft crew. It looks like the Vikings are going to miss out on the top two quarterbacks this year. So what are the pros and cons with Michael Penix Jr.? Well, you got to start with the injuries. Two ACL tears in his right knee, um, issues with his non-throwing shoulder, and he's 24 years old. Um, And if we're only talking issues, like I I made a comment yesterday, and I think he can play in the league, but I would have loved to have seen Michael Penix Jr. in like the 2004 Arena Football League because of like how he maneuvers the pocket and how he's just an absolute gunslinger. Like, just remember how Kurt Warner played football? Kind of how Michael Penix Jr. maneuvers the pocket. Like except he like has he has that. a he has a lot more athletic ability, but because of some of those injuries, they really tried to make him so he was just a pocket passer, and he's been great at it. Uh, but he has some issues with his mechanics. He like is an arm chucker, and I don't know how much of that is he has to because of his his legs, or how much of it is just that's just his natural throwing motion. And lefties have some weird mechanical stuff sometimes in general because they're doing everything the opposite, and very few people are actually a left-handed quarterback. Like, I think the biggest issue for me is going to be with the the injuries. And does he actually have the velocity because of how he throws? to be able to drive some of those super tight windows. Cause most of what he does is he loops over the top and he doesn't actually fire it in, in a tight window. So I, I would guess he probably is a day two pick. Um, maybe sneaks into round one. If he can show during the pre-jet process that his medicals are fine. And he uh, figures out how to kind of link up his upper and lower halves because with that arm strength, if he gets his lower half engaged, you could have a completely different quarterback in a good way. but Sometimes if you do like, it's a golf swing. If you change something for like one round and it could completely destroy your golf game. If you change something for like one game or you don't really focus on that change, it can mess with stuff. So it, it's a complicated issue, but not, I'm not the highest on Penix, but he's a good player. I like Penix and, and kind of your point for now. I think if, if the reason he's not using his lower body is because of the injuries, that's a bigger concern to me than if he's just doing it because he's just an arm an arm thrower. Because I think you can fix the mentality if it's not injury-related. If it's injury-related, mm-hmm. that's a harder 
harder thing to get out of somebody's mind because they're so focused on it. So I think yeah. if as long as it's not because of the in, the injuries, I think you can kind of adjust some of those mechanics. But if if they are, then I'll definitely be have a harder time being in on him, especially as a first round like 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 a late first round pick. So I'm with you. I, I like the game though. I think there's an especially in today's NFL with where everything's transitioning and just being a throwing league. Um, I think he fits that. But the age and injury history definitely is a little bit more a concern. But I always root for my lefties, so I can't I can't help it. Um, another piece of feedback here from John via the score North app and hit us up. If you want anything answered from the college football side or anything from the purple daily on draft side of things, hit us up via the score North app or on the YouTube comment section. John asks after four games in the college football season, would you please discuss on your next episode, the status or rankings of top eligible quarterbacks for next year? I really like Quinn Ewers. What, what Quinn Ewers is doing uh, for Texas this year. I think this is a really good like lead for a potential like, full episode of Purple Daily on Draft from the full quarterback rankings. But in terms of the Quinn Ewers conversation from Texas, you now we've been hearing his Texas back, right? Like, are they, are they actually back for real? Mm-hmm. Uh, what's your opinion of Quinn Ewers as a draft prospect? Well, we'll find out if Texas is back on Saturday at 11 Central, Red River shootout. <laughs> Oklahoma's not going in with a jabronia quarterback. Dylan Gabriel's healthy. That's going to be a fascinating, hard-hitting matchup. But the big thing with Ewers has never been about talent. It's been about consistency. After the Alabama game, there was an astounding stat on throws of more than 20 yards against Alabama and Oklahoma, seven of 12 against every other team, which is worse than those two, five of 43. His inconsistencies in the intermediate to deep part of the field are massively concerning. Last year, he did have that, that labor injury in his left shoulder, and I think that hindered him a lot. We saw how it hindered Baker Mayfield for the Browns in 2021, where he probably should have yeah. sat down, but he wanted to gut it out for the team. And he's it's healed. He is still a little bit inconsistent, but he's playing better. He's playing more confident and it's never been about talent around him. He's they're so loaded. Like Isaiah Nairs, their fifth wide receiver is a transfer from Wyoming. That dude could be a starter on like more than half of FBS teams because he's that good. So you look at all these little things. I had yours project as my QB three going into this year, but he still needs to continue to make strides, make those positive reads, and be able to throw accurately down the field with consistency. If he can't, there's going to be a lot of questions at moving forward because, one, he can't transfer after this year because he's got to have a diploma since he already transferred from Ohio State, and they're going to want to see Arch Manning at the helm. So basically, it's the NFL or bust for viewers right now, and he's got to be consistent down the field. Yeah, I, other- like, I like you. Oh, go. I was just gonna say I like yours too. I think um, I, I I'll, I'll bet on the talent. I don't. The hard part is when you're evaluating from the outside looking in. It's like, what are these guys like as people? Like, especially that quarterback position because that matters so much. Like, how are they? Do they rally people? Like the leader? Like the leadership skills? Like those mm-hmm. things? That stuff matters so much more at the at the college level at quarterback than anything else uh, than than other positions. But um, I'll bet on the talent because I do think the talent, like you said, is there. Like. I think he's really good at throwing with anticipation. He's kind of got a little bit of a dual threat ability to him, and he's got he's accurate um, when when he is when he's dealing. So I, I would probably bet on the talent. I, it's just about like where where you slot him in this draft class because obviously you got the top two guys, and then it's like a race for like that third and fourth spots um, between mm-hmm. him and uh, and McCarthy and, and and Penix is in there. I think at, we I, I want Sanders Shadur Sanders to be in the draft. I'm not like I'm not going to get my hopes up, but I'm definitely hoping he comes out. 
but that's another guy obviously in that mix. So it's kind of like sleep on Cam Ward from Washington State either. Okay, yeah, yeah, you're right. You're I right, love right. that guy. Yeah, I need to I need to watch more of him, but of what I have seen, he has looked really good. And I know people will will talk of guys like Bo Nix and and those things. I, I know how you feel about him, Forno, but and I'm not I'm not I'm not I'm not disagreeing with that either. But I'm um, like those there's a lot of names that kind of come into the mix that I think we could we can really get excited about. And to your point, uh, Declan, we could really get into like a true show of like, hey, let's just talk about the 2024 draft class because it's loaded. Anything else, guys, from the college football side of things? Like, uh, I kind of feel like maybe I just got too lost in the sauce after the first two weeks. But like, is Colorado like a legit ranked team? Or are they just like a team that got that surprise against TCU and they're just going to claw their way to like seven, eight wins? Like, what what can fans make of Colorado after maybe everyone maybe overhyped them a little bit after the first two weeks of the season? They are a team with great top end talent, but they need a couple years of infrastructure to really build out that depth. And against Oregon, that depth showed out in a awful way. And Oregon just dominated them in the trenches. And against USC, they were fine. They did a relatively good job and they were able to attack down the field. But they got lucky because they were playing an Alex Grinch defense. And Grinch is like the worst FBS defensive coordinator. It's, it's, It's truly astounding how he still has a defensive coordinator job. Just go ask anybody who's an Oklahoma or USC fan. It's He's terrible. And I like what we've seen from Colorado, but I think the the proof is really going to be in the pudding after Dion has two to three years there. But six games and a bowl appearance is not out of the question. Yeah, I think they're definitely a team that they're playing a little over their skis, I think. They didn't – they – like I know we all know how prime time is and like he's a very confident person as he should be. But mm-hmm. like he has like like Forno said, there's some top end talent there, but they definitely weren't expecting to be like a national championship com- contender or even like a I don't even think they were expecting to like win the Pac twelve this year. So I think I think they just ended up playing really well those first couple of games and it created an even bigger hype because prime time mm-hmm. is prime time. So like right. mm-hmm. um I don't think they have really high expectations for this year. Now th- they'll probably they want to exceed like the the middling expectations that they had for themselves. But at the end of the day, I don't think they're going to be disappointed with like an eight win, nine win season, if that's what it ends up being. Cause I think that'd still be a win from what they were, what 11, one and 11 last year. So yeah. If they win eight games, give Dion everything like right, the right. Pac-12 is phenomenal this year. An eight yeah. win season would be about uh, God has performed miracles on Boulder, Colorado <laughs> territory. And like, <laughs> Six six is coach of the year territory, like considering yeah. you brought in eighty seven new scholarship athletes, right, right. and like six wins is borderline miracle stuff, and that's why they ended up getting that ranking after that TCU win because TCU lost in the natty last year, like they weren't a slouch, and then you beat a right. really good Nebraska defense. That offense is still abysmal, and Colorado State rivalry game, and you figure out a way to pull it out. Now you got to play real teams, and how does that manifest? I with Travis Hunter back. I think it manifests a little more positive than it did against Oregon and USC. Yeah, I like it. Purple Daily on draft every Monday right here on the Purple Daily YouTube channel. We break things down from a draft perspective side of things. We take and look at the draft and how can the Vikings uh, get better at each position. Hit the subscribe button for daily Minnesota Vikings entertainment. We will be back Mm -hmm. next Monday where we just want to see the Vikings win a Super Bowl before we die. And they won a game.